Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Scott Gibson podcast. Uh, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good night, wherever you are, wherever you're listening. Howdy doody, howdy doody. I am Scott Gibson. Who else would I be? This is the Scott Gibson Show. Uh, thanks for joining me for another week here at the uh, the Podcast HQ. It's uh, what a week, eh? What a week. It's uh, you know, we're still very much uh, inside the coops, slowly going insane. Uh, waiting until uh, Armageddon comes to collect us all. But it's uh, been an incredibly uh, difficult week for I. Uh, on the diet, as most of us are, new year, new me, you know? Uh, if the apocalypse is, uh, has taught us anything, it's that it, this may be never ending. And when it does end, the world could be uh, a very different place. It could be a situation where we have to forage for our food. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the the roll of the dice? Is this mushroom edible or poisonous? There's only one way to find it. Stick it in your mouth, and if you haven't blown your asshole out within five minutes, you've got a tasty meal in your hands. Um, so in a, in a world where we may have to forage, uh, possibly build shelters outside in the, the cold wilderness of the, uh, the vast COVID apocalyptic wasteland, that will greet us in years to come. Um, you're going to have to have that, you know, that kind of uh, Adam and Eve, that that hunter, you know, Tarzan, big up top, slender, zero body fat, Bruce Lee with a bit more timber, you know. You're going to have to you need you stripped in. So in in preparation for uh, that lifestyle, uh, we've gone on a diet, topped the scales at the start of the year. Uh, at a whopping 25 stone, quarter of a metric ton, unbelievable, how is a human being able to be that size, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, Dad's always been a big boy, always been a big unit, always been a big unit, you know, broad, tall, girthy, always been a big unit, but this year man, uh, we put on a little bit more beef during lockdown, as most of us have, I think if you never put beef on last year, you probably weren't doing uh, lockdown properly, but here we are, uh, and and we're taking you know we're taking drastic measures this year. So been on a diet. Uh, started doing the Weight Watchers with my other half, 
uh, my amazing girlfriend, uh, who I don't think needs to lose weight, but she needs. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a woman's thing where they feel as if they constantly need to lose weight. I don't think she, I think she's amazing as she is. She's perfect, but uh, she feels like she wants to lose weight, and I suppose. Listen, what makes you happy? It's about being happy in here, and it's about being happy in here. Oddly enough, if you take care of your happiness upstairs, your happiness downstairs uh, tends to follow suit. I don't mean if you live in, uh, you know, uh, an up and downstairs house, you know, in which case take care of the, uh, the I mean, your, your mental health. That's what I mean. Take care of the mental health, the physical health. Shall fall now if you are, uh, you know, if you're not an able-bodied person, uh, i.e., uh, a disabled, uh, then you know you you can avoid the mental health in your world. You're you're never going to get a pair of dirty trainers. Um, but for for the for those of us who can and walk uh, amongst us, uh, what am I trying to say? Look upstairs. Look upstairs. Take care of. Listen. Anyway, so started the diet. Move the phone out of the way, and. Uh, Went on the Weight Watchers. I my opinion of Weight Watchers has not changed. Um, I I once did Weight Watchers many moons ago, uh, probably ten years ago, maybe even longer, maybe even longer. And back then was the the days before apps. You know, our apps really weren't uh, prominent in the world of uh, online weight loss. Weight Watchers back then was you had to go to a church hall. You know, or a community centre, and you'd meet with other uh, fat people, and they would tell you about the 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 fat experience as a fat person, and remain there for months, sometimes never losing weight, never losing more uh, than a couple of pound. You know, sometimes uh, the bold Sandra would do well; she'd lose six. She didn't have a bad week; she'd put six back on again, and it felt as if it was that constant flux. I went along with an, an old flatmate of mine, because uh, she didn't want to go alone, and uh, I remember coming in, and I uh, checked in, weighed in, you know, and uh, even at that time, I think I was topping 20 stone, uh, probably more physically fit than I was now, but the uh, the woman who was running the class, uh, her face lit up, you know, because she's obviously thinking, this could be our biggest loser here, I could turn this guy around, and uh, I'll get myself in the, the Weight Watchers magazine. You know, did a week, went back, never forget it, never forget it, I lost seven pound, lost seven pound in a week, half a stone, eh, and uh, apparently I may get a badge, and now, normally there is a, there's a bit of pomp, a bit of ceremony, when uh, one of the other chubsters gets uh, the old seven pound loss in a week, apparently it's quite a big achievement in the Weight Watchers community. And you would go forth to the to the front of the class, front of the gang, and uh, explain to the rest of the fat people uh, how how you uh, how you managed to achieve such a feat of weight loss, being a genetically fat person. And um, you know, my experience then was uh, let's just say it put me off slightly. When I weighed in, uh, the woman at the top of her voice, you know, exclaimed. We've got a silver star here. I never knew what a silver star was at that point. Uh, turns out seven seven pounds in a week. You know, half a stone weight loss. Uh, I was asked to come forward and get my badge. I declined. I declined out of uh, one out of respect. <laughs> out of respect for the badge. I thought, uh, Sandra, I've not really earned this yet. But uh, more so embarrassment and also uh, it's a sticker, you know. I mean, if it was an actual silver badge... Possibly they went forward. I says, you're all right, hen. Uh, at which point it was insisted that I come and collect my silver badge. I then went forward and I was asked to tell the group uh, how indeed I lost seven pounds in a week. And my exact wording was, I stopped drinking fizzy juice. Now, that wasn't enough. That was not enough for the uh, the coach, the uh, the Joe Wicks of the South Sides uh, Weight Watchers division. She wasn't happy with that, you know. And she says, but did you do any exercise? I mean, no, I just, I stopped drinking, I stopped drinking fizzy juice, you know. Uh, to, to which I thought maybe she would go into some kind of discussion around refined sugars and how we should all be doing that. But she just, uh, her response was, no, don't get disheartened, ladies. Don't get disheartened. Don't get disheartened. Uh, she said, because we all know that men lose weight quicker than women. And I thought, in the name of fucking God. You know, here I'm trying to better myself, and it's now a battle of the sexes. 
So I've I've remained sceptical of Weight Watchers ever since. Uh, this new Weight Watchers, it's been rebranded, WW, you may have seen it. Uh, they've got a lot of products in the shops uh, in order to, you know, to, to pull out the, uh, the, the fat amongst us, you know. Uh, being rebranded, it almost feels like some kind of uh, German movement. Let me just say that. It's very, very sleek, the new Weight Watchers branding. You know, very, very utopia. Uh, one thing I'll say is a, a lot of the marketing that they have with the new app, um, no no fat people. Not not a fat person in sight, which is odd. Uh, one everything. Tick every box um, for the app. No fat people though. Which, considering that you are your primary uh, customer is the the my fat brethren, you think you'd you'd put a couple of fatties in there? Not one. You know. You use the app and you go through it, and it's got like meal prep stuff, and uh, it's got like workout suggestions and things like that, and different articles that you might want to read about being a fat person. Uh, no fat people in it, but. All the, all the pictures that are on it are all, all thin people. You know? So, sat all about Weight Watchers. It does feel, it does feel cult-like. It does feel cult-like. I'll say that much. Um, but I still think Weight Watchers is, is designed to be like a kind of... I don't think it's actually a weight... Lo- I don't think they actually want you to lose weight. You know? People might be going, big man, you're talking for a hole in your ass here. The very definition of Weight Watchers is for you to lose weight and live a healthy life. But is it really? Is it really? Because shouldn't it be then weight loss or weight losers? It's Weight Watchers. We're watching your weight. Weight Watchers. The whole purpose of it feels like... It feels like it's designed to be a kind of support group. Right, for, I don't want to say sad, because not everybody that uses it is sad, but not, and again, not lonely, these are the words that are just coming out without me even meaning it, but I just, it feels like it's a support group for sad, lonely, fat people, you know, they can go on, they now have some kind of um, social networking aspect to the app, which I hate, I have not been on and I will not be using, but it feels like a kind of, a place where fat people can go and be part of a community. You know, and never actually lose weight. Every now and again, one will break free from the mass and swim off and suddenly lose weight and come back and, you know, tell a story to the papers and they'll do the whole thing. Look at the size of my fucking trousers. And that kind of shit that we've seen over and over and over again. But it doesn't actually feel as though it, um, it doesn't actually feel as if it wants you to lose weight. It feels as if it wants you to kind of maybe lose a couple of pounds so you think it's working that initial burst. And then just remain, remain in a constant flux of up a few pound, down a few pound. Which, which the odd thing is, your your body will will go up and down throughout the month. You know, especially if you're a woman. In the name of God. So, I've been on it two and a bit weeks. Uh, lost a couple of pound. Lost, lost uh, half a stone. And uh, listen, we'll plug along. You know. My missus gets a bit angry because she doesn't lose uh, as much as she would like, as quick as she would like. But, um, you know, I'm looking at if I can lose a kilo a week, I'll be happy with that. And if it takes, and listen, there's going to be times when I'm not even going to lose that. And a kilo a week, what's that? Two pound? Two two and a half pound? Something like that. I mean, a fucking shit two pound. It's nothing, you know? But again, it's, it's amazing how all, a lot of this stuff is connected to... It's connected to your mind. It's connected to your mental health, you know? If you don't particularly feel in a very good place, you will... Uh, well, I'm just going to make sure that that's not playing. I thought I could hear some audio in the background there. If you're not in a a, a particularly good place mentally, you're, you're, you're going to struggle with these kind of things. You know, you're going you're gonna to struggle to... You're going to struggle to make the changes that you need to make in your in your life so that you can maybe have a healthier a healthier diet, you know. And um, I'm also I mentioned this before, and I've changed the way that I'm starting to think about food because before food was very much a, a reward, you know. I've always had this uh, 
I've always had a very bad relationship with food. Um, I wish I could. I wish I was one of those people that just sees food for as fuel. I wish I was one. Well, I don't actually because those people are fucking born and dead behind the eyes. But I, I love food. I love eating good food. I love you know experiencing food, tasting food. I love the story of food. I think food is an incredible tool to bring people together. You could meet someone from another part of the fucking world that doesn't speak your language, doesn't know anything of your culture, but through food, you can start to share stories, you can start to connect with each other, understand each other. I think food's a very powerful thing. So, in a sense, I want to be one of those people who only sees food as fuel. It would be nice to have a switch. It would be nice to be, it would be, let me just say, it would be nice to be able to flick between the two, you know? Monday to Friday, go, I'm a fuel bunny, and just, food is fuel, no taste, no joy, no happiness, fuck it, boiled chicken, boiled rice, boiled chicken, boiled rice, porridge, porridge, boiled chicken, boiled rice, fire it in, you know, get the minimum amount of calories that you need to survive, and and just coast through, and then at the weekend, flick that switch back to being a normal person with, with, with joy in my heart, with happiness, you know, with optimism for life, and enjoy enjoy food again. So it's it's trying to make that switch, you know. It's trying to make that that adjustment kind of day to day, and it's it's hard. We've been fucking locked down as well. It's hard, you know. It is tough because you just want to eat fucking cheese and you know and pizza and. Go, oh, put Bob's Burgers on, man. Let's fucking sit each night. i tell you something, but I'll tell you this right now. I've never been a heroin addict. And I say never because you don't know what the future holds. I've never been an alcoholic. Again, you don't know what the future holds. I've never been addicted to prescription drugs. I've never been a smoker. But I'm telling you right now, and I don't care if you are an ex-heroin addict, if you gave up cocaine, if you gave up painkillers, if you've given up cigarettes, whatever vice you had, if you have given that up, turned your life around, became a spokesperson for giving up said vice, even done a fucking TED talk to a bunch of hipster cunts about how you turned around your life from being a heroin addict, chasing a dragon, to now doing speeches to other heroin addicts, I don't care if that is your journey that you've been on, nothing, nothing! In this world, it's harder to give up than fucking bread. I am telling you that now as a fact. I have not craved anything during this diet other than fucking bread. I gave up sugar. I've given up. I've turned my fucking back sugar. I, I don't have sugar in my tea. I don't have sugar in my coffee. I don't have fizzy drinks anymore. Turn my fucking back on it. Maybe there was a day, maybe there was two days at a push when I was fucking rattling for the sugar a little bit. But there is not a waking minute of my life when I do not think about and or crave fucking bread. Oh, what is it? What is it about bread that I crave so badly? I don't know. Even now as I'm saying this, all I can think about is going to Lidl, getting one of the sourdough bulls for a pound twenty nine, sitting with a fucking packet of lure pack butter and just eating the whole loaf. That's it. I don't even want anywhere. I don't want fancy sandwiches, toppings, you know? Schmor Open faced Danish sandwiches. I don't want none of that. I just want a sourdough loaf and fucking good butter. That's all I want. And I want to sit and I want to fill my face with fucking bread. Why? Why is it so difficult to give up bread? It's so difficult. And when you're on the Weight Watchers point system, and the name of fuck, I have got an obscene amount of points because I'm a fat bastard. An obscene amount of points. You put in your weight at the start, right? And it tells you how many points you've got for the day. And that is the kind of limit you need to stick to. Now it's a bit fucked up, right? Because there'll be certain things that are zero points. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, vegetables, fruit will be zero points. 
because you would eat as much fruit and veg as you want, right? And you'd be amazed because there's some fruit on there that isn't zero points. But then it shocks you with things like chicken. Zero points. What? Salmon. Zero points. Turkey mince. Zero points. So according to my Weight Watchers diet plan, if I was to have, for example, a, a sourdough loaf priced at £1.29 from Liddell, if I was to have that on Monday, I could not eat again till Thursday. But I could have 60 chicken breasts every day of the week and not use a single fucking point. Now, I cannot understand from spending two and a bit weeks now looking at the app that it's basically trying to push you away from sugars, refined sugars, processed foods. And it's trying to move you down a kind of almost Atkins road where the diet that I'm on is, is kind of high protein, right? Cutting out carbs, so pasta, oh, it's no good. White bread, oh, no chance. And moving you into proteins. Fair enough. But then why not just use that language in the app? Why not just suggest that? You know? Why make it all confusing? But I am telling you, white bread, I've never, I've never craved something so bad in my life as I am craving, and I don't, I'm not meaning shit, even shitty white bread, shitty white bread if I was having like a bacon sandwich, right, because that's, I don't know, I'm thinking about bacon, fuck me, but just to sit with a sourdough loaf, oh, and tan, fuck with it, man, that's all what I do, some people want to go on massive food binges and like go to a, a buffet and fucking kick off, man, just why sit with a sourdough loaf, and consume the whole thing. Now, I found this article, right, which I thought was quite interesting. And the uh, the headline for the article is Eight Things That Happen When You Stop Eating Bread. Now, when I was thinking about it a bit more, I, I have had, I've had pizza um, since I've been on a diet. So every Friday night is a, is a relaxed night. Don't call it a cheat day, right? It's a relaxed night where my missus has finished work for the week, she finishes at six o'clock, and then we'll sit down uh, she'll open a bottle of wine, and uh, we get pizza from a place called Matau, or Mateo, or Matamataya, Mato, Mato Pizza in Edinburgh, finest pizza you'll ever have in your life, and uh, it's beautiful, it's like that kind of sourdough crust with a big puffy crust, best pizza, uh, amazing, right, Neapolitan, whatever the fuck it's called, delight in a box, and I eat it, and I love it, and I savour it, and I just go, oh god, this is amazing, and it's my bread craving for the week, right, but I tell you something, see after it, fuck me, my arse is like Mount Vesuvius, I am farting like a dying dog, and I'm starting to think, it's just the reaction that stuff's having in my body, I don't know, so this article, I was quite interested to, to read, um, as I said, eight things that happen to you when you stop eating bread, uh, the low carb craze, is growing strong, bread is out, pasta is overrated, and dieters are experimenting with how low their carb intake can go, but grains are anything but all the same, so whether you're cutting out refined grains, whole grains, or carbs in general, the effect can vary widely, here is a look at the wide array of things that can happen to you when you ditch the bread, one, lose water weight, now this is a thing that a lot of people do for extreme weight loss, where they do a lot of purging, you may have seen that before, people will drink things to purge the water for the body, people will take, I've known people that take laxatives, I've known people that take these diet pills and effectively that's what it is, it's just laxatives and they just shite out all the water and all the impurities that's in their body just for, for weight loss, you know, is that a good thing? I mean probably not, I don't know enough about it but it's certainly something that I'm no interested in doing. Um, when you reduce your carb intake, the first thing you notice is how quickly, even magically, the weight falls off. But it's not fat you're losing, it's water. When carbs are stored in the body in the form of glycogen, each gram of carbohydrate stores three to four times its weight in water, says dietitian and strength coach Marie Sapano. Uh, so as soon as you cut the carbs and start using glycogen stores, you'll get a good amount of water weight. 
there you go. Uh, second thing, Cram T, you catch the low carb flu. Now, I've heard a lot of people mention this, uh, talking about cutting out carbs in your diet, especially bread. Carbs are the brain's main source of energy. When a person cuts down on carbs, the brain is running on fumes, especially as glycogen stores get low and become depleted. Eventually, once all the glycogen is gone, your body breaks down fat and runs off little carbon fragments called ketones. The result, bad breath. I mean, this is delightful. Bad breath, dry mouth, tiredness, weakness, dizziness, insomnia, nausea, and brain fog. Basically, you feel like you have the flu. Eventually, your body adapts to running on ketones so you don't feel so bad, but they still aren't your body's preferred fuel source. So, effectively, what that's saying is that your body, your body's telling you it needs fucking carbs. Now, I understand all this dietary stuff and weight loss stuff is, is a balance. My body just wants sourdough bread for the love of fucking God. Imagine, imagine all that, just because you're not getting any carbs, or you've stopped eating bread. Your breast stinks, you've got a dry mouth, you're tired, you're weak and you're dizzy. Have a fucking peace, my man. Uh, three, cravings subside apparently. Refined carbohydrates are infamous for sending your blood sugar levels through the roof, only for them to crash back down again. Recent research suggests uh, that the roller coaster ride uh, activates addiction centres in the brain, leading to subsequent cravings. Uh, your risk of heart disease and diabetes goes up or down. Types of grains you cut make a big difference. For instance, a 2014 study found that refined carbohydrates drive up the body's levels of fatty acid to, ra to raise the risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes. Meanwhile, according to the American Heart Association, whole grains can improve blood cholesterol levels and lower the risk of heart disease, stroke, obesity and type 2 diabetes. The choice is clear. So from this, whole grains is a thing that we should be having on our diet. Energy levels drop. We've talked about that. You can't poop, right? That's the thing. Now, it's going to take a lot more than no eating bread to stop me shitting. I'm a three a day man. Three a day. Morning, afternoon, night. Set your clock by it. Get up in the morning. Walk the dog. Bring a dog back. Dog gets his breakfast. I have a coffee. Morning shit. Do a bit of work, take your dog out for a walk, come back, have my lunch, afternoon shit. Evening, walk the dog, come in, have my dinner, evening shit. Three a day. I've been a three a day man for as long as I can remember. I've said this to some friends and they've went, in the name of God, mate, something's wrong with you. Three a day. I would say if you're not having three shits a day, something's wrong with you. See these people, like women, they go, I only shit once a fortnight, and even then, it's just like a wee nugget, it's not even a real, what the fuck is wrong with you? Three a day, and I mean shits. I mean like a full-blown, like a, a, a shit. I don't mean, you know, I'm not going in there firing out a couple of nuggets. I'm talking three proper jobbies, man. <laughs> three a day. Shut your fucking clock by me, man. I would, I would say, I would, I would say, if you're not having three a day, I would say you got issues, man. Saying you speak to your GP, Jelly McKeith would go mental if she saw my top over. Whole grain intake uh, is a major player in how much fibre you get. According to uh, a recent study, found that ninety-two percent of American adults, so I'm assuming this is an American article, don't get enough of the grains uh, fibre, the ingredient part of plants. Light grains not only helps stabilise blood sugar levels, reduce the risk of obesity and chronic disease, but keeps your bathroom habits regular. I must be getting plenty of grains then. Um, you get really moody, apparently, if you cut out bread and certain grains, and your workouts suffer as well for carbohydrates. Uh, carbohydrates are the body's primary source of energy for fueling all exercise, including both endurance and resisting resistance training. Cut carbs and your energy will drop. Decrease your levels of your body's stored carbohydrates and your ability to produce force and power will decrease and the suckier your workouts will be. I mean, imagine using the word suckier in an actual medical article. Well, there you go. They are Americans. I mean, from that, what it's telling me is, all right, I'm getting grains in, right? I'm back loving the porridge again. I'm having porridge my breakfast. That's a great. I suppose it's all education on it. It's understanding what is a grain, is rice a grain? Yes, it is. Is rice better for you than pasta? Possibly. 
is brown rice better than all the other rices? Maybe it is, you know? I just cannot get away from this craving for sourdough bread. I can't get away from it. I, 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 I'm telling you, I will stand by that. If you were to put in front of me a, a recovering heroin addict and, and a guy of my size with my diet who's given up bread for the same length of time that the guy's been off heroin, I would say that the guy on bread had a tougher journey. <laughs> Can you check any rehab for for bread addiction? <laughs> That's the kind of celebrity I want to be. Checking out the Betty Ford Clinic this week for... Uh... You know, you get some guy coming out, some A-list Hollywood celebrity for like, sex addiction, right? As most of the fucking Hollywooders go in, Michael Douglas and all, they go, I'm fucking, you're mad on the shagging, man. Somebody's coming out heroin addict, alcohol abuse. World famous comedian Scott Gibson checked out the Betty Ford Clinic after his addiction to sourdough bread. <laughs> Sources close to the comedian claim he was on six bulls a day. <laughs> a habit that costs in excess of £12.50 every single day spent on sourdough. His publicist says he's recovering quietly at home and wishes the press and media to respect his privacy during this difficult time. That must be, I must be able to check in. I need to check in my addiction hen. And what is the addiction? Sourdough loaves. In particular, for little. <laughs> <laughs> oh, giving up the bread. Hardest thing I'll ever do. And I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to limit my intake. Limit my intake. Find a bread. There must be a bread out there that's that's a bit better for me. You know? All the different breads. All the different breads in the world. That's why, and listen, I know we're going off on a tangent here, but it's my show. We'll go off on whatever fucking tangent we want. That is why, in my opinion, Chinese food will never be considered anywhere near some of the great cuisine in the world, in my opinion, because they have a severe lack of bread options. That's it. Indian, beautiful nans, beautiful nans, chapatis, incredible breads. You know, all over all over Europe, incredible bread options. China, fuck all. What, what did they get you? Are you a, a sweet, sticky bun that's filled with fucking common pork? No. Not good. But whatever you are, if you are on a diet, if you are trying to lose weight at the start of this year, uh, you know, I hope you I hope you put an extra notch in that belt soon. And whatever you do, do not deny yourself bread. Just don't do it, man. Have some bread. You deserve it. You deserve it. I was asked a, a question uh, for the Sunday service at the weekend just gone, which I, I never got a chance to answer. Um, two people had actually asked it, and um, if you the Sunday service is the, the Patreon-only podcast that goes out every single Sunday. Um, if you enjoy the show and you're not part of the Patreon, then please do consider uh, signing up. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Big Scott Gibson, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Big Scott Gibson. You can sign up for five dollars four pound fifty i think it is for the month um pound a week worth every penny you get access to all of the special content including the patreon only episode sunday service which goes out every single sunday so sign up now uh links are on all the social media and also on my website bigscottgibson.com so check that out but one of the questions that was asked which i never got a chance to answer on the sunday service and i do apologize for that was um what if I what job would I uh, you know be doing in the normal world uh, if I wasn't a comedian or I was forced uh, back into the the normal world which we might be if this continues uh, what job would I do now the the strange thing is that I have since lockdown I had a very difficult time at the start of lockdown when everything just collapsed because I had a good four or five months when I was completely reliant on. Uh, my missus on the other half, you know, there was there was nothing coming in. Um, 
and it was it was a difficult, really difficult time, you know, because you, you had gone from being, or I had gone from being, not not the breadwinner because that's never we, we don't have that relationship, but I had gone from, you know, making uh, making enough to to live, if you like, um, to then not even making enough to survive, you know, if if that makes sense, um, I've never been. I've never been great with money. I've never been great with this, with the business, with the comedy, comedy industry. I've never been great at kind of pursuing the business side of it. So, I, I um, when COVID hit, obviously the whole diary went. We lost everything that was that was booked in, and uh, it became. It showed you how fragile the the job was. Um, now I've been very fortunate and very lucky that uh, over the course of last year, twenty twenty. I managed to build this podcast through the Patreon and the uh, hashtag show. We managed to build it to a point where I could at least uh, pay my rent. You know, um, not at the point where, where, you know, I still want the podcast to grow and, and, and it will do as we continue down the road and we start to, to get more people on board and we, we, we start to get in a position where we can make, uh, you know, put the show into a place where I want it to be. Uh, I, I would like us to have a, a studio, a place that's kind of purpose built for it. Uh, at that stage, I'd like to have some more guests in and 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 really make make the the podcast a a show. You know, I, I know in my head where I want to take it to, and, and that will happen, and that will come eventually. Um, but I've been very lucky that I can at least build it to a point, and that is all all down to you guys. And thank you to you for that. That we I can at least justify, if you like, the time that it takes to record these, edit them, put them together, I can now justify that because I'm at least able to pay my rent from it. Um, still not in a great place because you, you, you know, you're still slowly moving forward and you're always conscious of the past as well and you're thinking, you know, this is where you used to be, but you're not going to get there without gigging again, right? <clears throat> so I had looked into going back to work again and and it reminded me of, it reminded me of how, how an, an, as annoying, annoying is probably the wrong word, but just how desperate the whole job process is when the best situation to be in is when you're in a job and you have a job and you're maybe looking to move on and it's maybe not a necessary move, uh, maybe it's a career move upwards, maybe it's a career move sideways just for a different business or whatever. That's probably the best situation to be in, because if you get the job great, and if you don't, you know, there's maybe no real change to your current situation. You're happy enough where you are, but when you're in a position that you need work or you're desperate for work, it's a really, it's a horrible place to be in, you know. And from going from having ten years of being in stand up, it's a massive gap that's in any CV. And it, it was really tough, you know. I found myself applying for a lot of jobs. I was getting I was getting nowhere, I wasn't getting any interviews at all, filling out so many online applications. Um I had one interview for the whole time. I had an interview for, believe it or not, Lidl's warehouse. Uh went along and even then sitting in the car park and there's there's an element of you thinking God, this is the situation we're in now where, you know, I never thought we I never thought we'd be back looking for what would be classed as a normal job again, um, and went in, and, and then, strangely enough, really enjoyed the interview, the interview went really well, and, uh, you know, was again, was gutted when I never got it, because I thought, hey, that would have been a decent job, the hours would have been good, kind of night shift through the night, would have kept me going, and uh, didn't get it, and then, and then oddly felt as though, why am I feeling gutted when I, I suppose in the back of my head, I never really wanted it anyway, you know, I wanted to go back to, gigging again and this was around about June time so then you start to think to yourself right well you know it's June we're going to be back gigging again in August September so don't worry about it and then that rolls around and it never comes and in between that time you've applied for some more jobs and you don't get there and the whole time I was thinking it must be it must be a horrible situation to be in the new especially with the pandemic if you are if you have lost your job and you are desperately looking for something else, desperately looking for something else, and there are 
literally thousands of people going for your job. I made the mistake once of going on a going on a website and it told me how many people had applied for the role. And the job that I was applying for was in a depot in Edinburgh. And uh, I think it was either doing packaging or it was either for freight coming in or freight going out. I can't remember because I applied for quite a few of them. But this one had three and a half thousand people had applied for it and there was one position. And I'm just thinking, what's the point? And I remember thinking that. I remember sitting at this very desk thinking, what is the fucking point? I don't know what's going to happen. And it must be, you know, it must be a really hard, hard situation to be in when you are desperate. And that, that's why I even know, and I don't want to keep going on about COVID, man, because we do it every fucking week, but that's... That's now it's it's always in, in my in my head that I'm thinking it it almost it doesn't feel as if we are living in the real world anymore. Because there are thousands, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in Scotland alone who will be under immense pressure for work, struggling month on month, you know? And and the odd thing is I sometimes forget that, or I sometimes think that I'm not in that position, and we are. We are, you know, me and, and the missus alone. We are struggling through there, but it's, I suppose it's a struggle that's of our own doing. We we live in the most expensive city in this country. Uh, Edinburgh is the most. Uh, I mean, again, 2019 when the last report comes out, Edinburgh was is the most expensive city to live in in the whole of the UK, right? So the argument would be we probably don't have to be here, but. Yasmin's work is here, so she has to be here for her job. We, because we live in Edinburgh, it's incredibly expensive to to rent here. You know, so we we are struggling because I've I've never I've never been a place where I have to pay so much for my rent. But that's the situation that we're in. So it's a hard one, man. It's it's a real hard one, and often I think. Often I do think, God, we, we've probably not really really seen the full impact of this pandemic yet. Um, as, as, as it continues to grow and more people find themselves in a situation where they're, they're desperately looking for some form of income. But the job itself, when, it, when I was looking for stuff, I was literally applying for anything. Um, I was applying for stuff that I'd be interested in. And then when I actually started to think, right, if I was if I was going to have to go back to work, you know, a normal job again, or, or I wanted to go back and do a career change, there was only two things I really wanted to do. And these probably will be the two things that I would that I would say I would I would love to do as a normal job. Before I started comedy, before I became a comedian full time, I'd worked in call centers for years, and I and I have always said, as long as I never have to go back in a call center, I'll always be happy. You know, I'll always be winning at life because it's a, it's a horrible environment to be in. It really is. And uh, so the two things that I would do is, one is a normal job, like you know that most people would do. Oddly, as a delivery driver, I would I would love to be a delivery driver. Well, I wouldn't love to be, I man. I want to get back gigging again, but I, w- I would love to do that as a job if I had the option. The idea of just being in a van, radio on, few podcasts, you know, um, doing my deliveries, that would be quite. I'd be quite happy with that. I would be content. I I, I could be a quite quite a happy wee man if I could do that. In an ideal world, uh, you know, if I knew now the type of person that I am, uh, in the sense of like, I enjoy my own company, and if I could maybe go back to when I was younger, you know, first thing I'd say is get a fucking trade, but if I never get a trade, you know, maybe long distance lorry driving or something like that, I think that would be a cool job to do, I could do that quite easily, sit in the cab, me and the tour manager, cut a podcast on, you know, take some deliveries, delivering the tulips to Amsterdam, whatever it may be. Delivery driver definitely is something that I could do quite happily. I think if I had to do a normal job, or what we class a normal job, pick up the van, get all my parcels in, podcast on, just doing going do my orders. No, no real, no real boss. You know, no office. No, I that would be perfect for me. And the only other thing that I would really want to do if I had the option would be to do something involved in, in food, whether that be in a kitchen, whether it be in a cafe, uh, even something like, you know, a, a, a food truck. I, I would love to do that, man. I mean, it's something that I it's something that I think about often enough that I'm starting to give it real thought. 
I I have uh, I have these kind of wee fleets of fancy, these wee kind of daydreams where I think you know I, I could I could easily do something like that you know try my best to get you know some money together maybe buy a wee food van maybe think of something that's a bit niche or something that would stand out a little bit and, and try and bring that to a food market or find a place to set up and kind of build it for there you know and I, I I think because I have these thoughts so often, I think that might be something that I might do in the future. It's something that could tie in quite nicely with, with comedy, you know, because I, I'll, I'll always tour. I'll always tour. Um, so that, that might be quite nice. That would be something that would tie in, tie in all my, my passions, you know, and also give you the creative outlet as well. And that I could do in the podcast because I want to keep the shows going. I could continue to write comedy and I can tour at my own pace and go to the venues I want to go to and uh, have be involved in some kind of food environment in some way. I don't know. But if I, did, if I had to say one, as a normal job, normal life, uh, I would say a uh, delivery man or, or delivery driver or some kind. That would probably be a job that I could do quite happily if I had to. There you go. <laughs> that was weird. That was a weird bit. That was a weird bit. As a, <coughs> excuse me, as I record this uh, podcast, episode sixty six, um, it's the January twenty fifth, Burns Night. Um, don't know how many of you will be celebrating this year. Possibly at home, a wee haggis, uh, maybe a haggis supper. Obviously. Most bomb nights will be cancelled. Uh, for the last two years, I had uh, emceed, hosted a, a Burns night in Edinburgh. Uh, amazing Burns night. Uh, sadly, no no longer. Um, thinking back to, to when we did it last year. Um, but obviously, with the way the world is, it sadly has not happened. So, no Burns uh, tonight. But, uh, 25th, Jan 25th, is of course Burns night. Um, widely celebrated across Scotland and, and the world. Uh, oddly enough, I don't think that we, I don't think that Burns gets enough, um, enough publicity, enough promo, as it does, as it should, you know, uh, I, I personally think it should be a national holiday in Scotland, uh, Burns Night, I think it should be a far bigger celebration than it is, um, and I think more should be made of it, but, you know, as is the way with most Scottish things, it seems to be a kind of, you know, hoity-toity thing, and, and the rest of us just pick it up, but, uh, so, Burns Night, traditionally celebrated, um, uh, Scottish attire music, including the Old Lang Syne, which is obviously the famous Burns song, uh, there's also a Burns Supper, which uh, a lot of people are kind of unsure of, uh, many will celebrate with friends and family, um, obviously not this year, feast upon uh, different dishes, including haggis, so when is Burns Night and when is it? So, Burns Night, um, is originally the anniversary. So originally celebrated on the anniversary of Burns' death, which was, I believe, the twenty first of January. Uh, however, Burns' night is now celebrated on the poet's birthday, which is January twenty fifth. Uh, first Burns supper was held in eighteen o one, and since then new rituals have been added as families and friends come together. But the main purpose of the day is to celebrate Burns, often considered one of greatest Scots in history. Uh, I don't think anybody or no one Scottish could argue with that. Any, he was a bit of a shagger and he loved a baby, but my God, could he write a poem? Um, this uh, traditional Burns night could involve uh, readings of his work and a traditional Burns supper, which obviously involves the haggis. Now, a lot of people still don't know what haggis is. You'll see these uh, wee images going about that people think that haggis is a real thing, like a, a, a something the size of a guinea pig running about with three legs up the highlands. It is, of course, a lot of shite. It's uh, it's basically all the bits of uh, of the of the sheep or the animal or fucking mashed up and cooked in a sheep's stomach. Um, you know, is the uh, is what haggis is. I suppose I think the biggest thing with haggis is the spice mix because there is spices in it. So I think when you find a lot of butchers like. I think the, the, the thing that they guard, the secret that they guard is the spice blend that they put in it and the uh, the, the different grains as well. Uh, so haggis is a type of savoury pudding. I imagine this was written by an English person. The main ingredient of the haggis includes the liver, heart and lungs of a sheep. Um, 
minced and mixed with beef or mutton suet, and oatmeal and seasoned with onion, cayenne pepper and other spices. Uh, the mixture is packed into a sheep's stomach and then boiled. Now, obviously most of the haggis that you buy in the supermarkets is not in a sheep's stomach, but if you ever get a, a real haggis, a traditional haggis, if you find a butcher's that makes their own haggis, there is, there is something about a real haggis in a sheep's stomach that does taste better. And when you say things like that, it sounds disgusting, but it's like... Um, it's like anything else, like you get that kind of membrane, you know, that kind of stuff that looks like a spider's web, which is like the lining of your stomach as well, and they wrap like pork in it to cook it. So whenever you get a haggis in a real sheep's stomach, it does taste different. It really does. Um, I don't know if it just steams differently. I don't know if it's the consistency, the thickness of it. I don't know if it imparts flavour in it. I don't imagine it does, but there's, certain, there's certainly something about a real getting a really good haggis and haggis is just like haggis is just like anything else it's like you know it's like any kind of kind of processed food in a sense that you can get very very good haggis and really shit haggis you know like i always always compare it to like steak pies you know, you can get a really really good steak pie and you can get a fucking god awful steak pie and there's different variants of that in haggis but i think if you can get a real one in the sheep's stomach, especially when you cut in it, it kind of, the, the consistency of the stomach lining rather than the, the kind of fake linings that they put, or the, uh, the, the man-made casings, it just cuts differently and feels differently, real haggis is amazing man, I'm getting myself hungry again, fucking hell, uh, mixtures packed in a sheep's stomach, uh, and then boiled haggis, it's traditionally served with the classic side of neeps and tatties, which is turnip and potatoes, uh, with uh, a, a whiskey sauce, put a wee bit of whiskey over it. Sometimes you get a whiskey cream sauce. Sometimes it's got mustard on it and whatnot. You obviously get vegetarian haggis as well, and uh, which is uh, vegans can have too. Uh, BBC Good Food have a vegetarian alternative, which you can make yourself. Why don't you fuck off? Uh, as you think about preparing the food for the night, uh, you might want to get into the spirit. Many musicians recorded songs, either directly quoting Burns' poems or inspired by them. Uh, and then it's giving you an, an example of some of the tracks that have been inspired um, by Burns songs um, Red Red Roads by Camera Obscura uh, My Heart in the Highlands uh, Christopher Boers Brodent whoever the fuck that is Banks and Braes, uh, Dougie McLean A Man's A Man for all that uh, Sheena Wellington and Old Lang Syne by Rod Stewart Jesus Christ um, I'm looking here at some of the uh, poems that that Robert Burns is, is written because here's the thing is we, I always find it amazing the fact that we never studied any of this stuff in school you know I, f I still find it amazing that most of my time in high school in history for example all we fucking learned about was the fucking Germans that's it the fucking Nazis the fucking Germans the shitty second world war that's all we fucking did in history every bastard in tenure in history the fucking nazis the fucking germans and not even good stuff not even learning about camps not even learning about like interesting things like the fact that before the second world war germany fucking loved hitler they fucking loved the bastard not even learning about stuff like that. the fact that there was no unemployment in germany the, the 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 nazis were responsible for much of the uh the the development of the autobahn you know, you turned up at the fucking council office, I've not got a job, well get a shovel cunto, because you're building fucking motorways. Not even any exciting bits of history, not even talking about uh, the concentration camps, none of that. Just fucking bloody Nazis in the fucking war. Bullshit. Explain to me how we were not getting told about Scottish history, explain to me how in school we're not learning about Robert Burns. Now, I imagine that if you tried to teach us about Robert Burns at school, we would have turned our nose up and went, this is a lot of shite, but at least make a fucking attempt at it. Nothing. Nothing. Why is it that every other, it feels as if every other country in the fucking world will teach their young people about their history, but we don't get taught our history? 
Now, even if you, if you, if people's argument is, but there was a time when you know the UK was a right bastard to people, then fucking teach young children about that. Teach them about the empire. Teach young kids about the absolute atrocities that the British Empire has caused upon people. And especially in Scottish schools, teach us about Burns. Make it part of our culture. Make it something fun. Make it something cool. Don't allow the fucking BBC Scotland to get involved because they'll make it shite. But make it part of the culture. Make it part of the education. we never get anything. Uh, but some people, or most people, will know anyway the, the Burns poem. So some of his most famous, famous poems, uh, The Selkirk Grace, Some Hay Meat and Canny Eat, and some will eat at Wanta, but we had meat and we can eat, so let the Lord be thank it. Selkirk Grace, Old Lang Syne, obviously everyone knows that. Uh, what else we got? A man's a man and all that. Uh, my love is like a red, red rose. Some some famous ones. To, to a louse and to a mouse, addressed to the haggis. Most people have heard that as well. I've just seen a picture of the haggis here with boiled potatoes and uh, a tomato salad. Get fucked, you stupid piece of shit. Uh, Robert Burns quotes to celebrate the bird. Uh, man's immunity to make... A ma man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn. The wide world is all before us, but a world without a friend. I don't even know what's going on here. But yes, Robert Burns, 25th of January, so... Were you celebrating Burns? Who knows? I, uh, I like I said, I, I had hosted a, a a Burns night for Burns and Beyond uh, in Edinburgh, which is a, a I think it lasts for a, for a week, maybe in two weeks. Um, they do a whole lot of things in Rose Street in Edinburgh. Well, they did when we when we could live our lives like normal people. And uh, the first time I did it was two years ago. So I emceed, hosted a Burns night, and they have. Um, different dancers, they have different performers, they have people reading the speeches and doing uh, different addresses, and it was, the both of them, both the, the occasions were, were, were amazing nights, tremendous nights. Um, I, I, I was amazed at the amount of tourists that were there, you know, I mean, obviously not because it's Edinburgh, but the amount of American tourists who were there who have a connection to Scotland because of their heritage so their grandparents or their great grandparents were from Scotland and they themselves feel a connection to Scotland and had come back specifically for Burns to be in Edinburgh at Burns and and uh, were, were delighted, were over the moon to be there you know and, and almost felt as if they were home in a sense which I found mind blown to even understand but it was um, it was it was amazing night both, both years, both nights, amazing nights and Something that I almost something that I wish I had went to when I was younger, you know, something that I wish had been more accessible to me when I was in my early teens, early twenties, because it was an amazing night. It really was, and uh, they could be a bit of haggis, cutler scalps, uh, Johnny Walker sponsoring it, and a couple of Johnny Walker cocktails, lovely jubbly, and a uh, good wee night. So yeah, very sad. I was actually thinking about it the other day. Uh, very sad that. We've not been able to do that this year, but then, you know, COVID has uh, COVID has taken quite a lot from us. So if you are celebrating Burns, um, you know, enjoy it. I, there's a, a wee place, um, the, what's it called? Is it called the Haggis Shop or the Haggis Van or something like that? There was a Haggis, when I was doing the Fringe, uh, last time when the Fringe was on, there was a, a stall within Tolbooth that was selling Haggis. And uh, obviously my missus is vegetarian, so... She wasn't going to have proper haggis. Although there is a couple of times when I do wish that she would eat meat. Never force it upon anyone, but I make a cracking Balmoral chicken. Let me tell you that. I'd love to be able to make her that for dinner, but she can't eat it. And the first time having haggis, I was like, I wish you could taste haggis. And then I realised that they sold vegetarian haggis. Again, it's something that I would never have and I forget exists because I, I would never have vegetarian haggis because I would have normal haggis. And uh, she wasn't really that interested in trying it. And I says, look, try it, man. Just try it. What's the worst that can happen? And uh, she loved it. Absolutely loved it. So that became a wee thing when we were, we were quickly trying to get something to eat before diving between gigs. We would come out and the haggis people were there. 
Yeah, we better haggis for me and vegetarian haggis for her. So if you are enjo- having a buns or you had a buns as you're now listening to this, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if not, then make sure you do it next year. Make some of it. Uh, do a little bit of reading about buns. Uh, look at some of the poems. It's an interesting way even how uh, the language has changed as well, you know. And uh, I think it's something that we should be more aware of and certainly uh, we should be we should be doing more with um, as, as Robert Burns and Burns Nights, but... You know, what can you do, mate? What can you do? No, I mean, we're all just trying to survive, Gibble. We're all just trying to survive. Right, before we wrap this one up, let me just say I have been, I have become obsessed by a television programme. And, uh, you know, I was going to say that I'm ashamed of myself. I don't know the man I've become. I have now, I've fallen down this trap of reality television. But let me say this. Married at First Sight Australia is arguably one of the greatest television shows that's ever existed because let me tell you for why, let me tell you for why I have never known a programme that delivers drama after drama after drama on a weekly episode basis. I am obsessed by it, I love it, it's amazing. I have, in the past few years, I had developed a kind of soft spot for things like Love Island and stuff like that. I still resented it because I genuinely hateful towards the people who were on it because I felt as though things like Love Island attracted a vapid, dead-behind-the-eyes group of cunts. But this programme, Married at First Sight Australia, it, it's a whole new level. I, I almost wish that I, I, I knew someone who watches it so that I could get in real in-depth discussion, almost do a fan podcast. That is how much I love this show. And I don't care who knows it. If you don't watch it, you need to watch it. If you're sitting listening to this, you're going, big man, what are you watching that shit for? I am telling you, it is fucking brilliant. It's brilliant, man. They, they've got, premise of the show, uh, Married at First Sight, you get strangers, I think they start off with 12 couples, so 12, uh, men, 12 women, and they, they get married, and uh, they, they are they are put together through a panel of experts who decide on things, you know, like social matches and what they want to do, you, you very quickly realise these experts uh, are experts in fuck all, they know nothing about people, they know nothing about relationships, they know nothing about fucking nothing, to call themselves experts as a slap in the face to actual experts, right? Nothing. Because here's the other thing you'll do as well. If you're like me, you'll see the couple, you'll watch them get married, and within that episode, you will decide if they will last or not. And trust me on this, every single thing that you decide, 99.9% of the case is real. So, for example, I talk to Mrs. and go, they're not going to last. And she'll say, for why? And I'll tell her for why. And she'll go, that's very observational. And it never works out. What the show does tell you is that you can have as many different connections on levels. I'm a very thoughtful person. And this is what I really think. See, if you're an ugly fucking munt on that bag of waste, you're getting fucking nowhere. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. We eat with our eyes first, for God's sake. You know? So sometimes you question the couples that get put together and sometimes the couples stay and then they unveil all the emotional baggage and it's fucking brilliant and it's just drama after drama after drama because they have people of different ages, a few youngsters in there, a few older ones in there, the youngsters are always ball bags, ball bags, sorry. and then there's parts of the show when the women all get together and then they obviously all start fighting and bitching and fucking scrapping because that's what happens when you put a group of women together and then the guys all get together and they just get drunk and have a good time because men are social creatures. But the show itself is wonderful. I've made the mistake of uh, finding it on the hooky box. So I've been binging episodes, man. Binging. I'm, uh, I'm on series six, which is the series that has been shown now on British television, on Channel 4, uh, or on E4, you get it on more 4 anyway, uh, Series 6, so once I'm finished blasting that, I'll go back and watch the other series, but I just had to mention it, because I just need to get it off my chest, I just need to, I need to say the words out loud, I am a massive fan of Married at First Sight Australia, I absolutely love it, and I urge you, 
I urge you to watch this show. And if you watch and you think, big man, this isn't for me, that's fine. At least give it a go. That's all. I ask you two things. Watch Married at First Sight and join the Patreon. And that's it. That's all you got to do. It's your homework for this week. Married at First Sight. Have a 10,000 word essay on why it's the greatest show ever. Send it my email address and uh, become a Patreon. And that's it. Right, let's wrap this one up. Thank you again uh, for watching, subscribing. Thank you to the rascals who are already on the Patreon. Uh, if you're not, please do sign up. Patreon.com forward slash Bigsaw Gibson. You get an extra episode every week uh, on the Sunday service. Uh, that's it. Play the quiz on a Wednesday. We're still doing that for the full duration of lockdown. Uh, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. Make sure you check out the videos on YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And, uh, you know... Look after yourself, man. Who knows when this is all going to end? Not me and not the people in charge. So we will walk on blinded by the tomfoolery that is the Westminster government. Uh, in the meantime, you know, stay safe. Look after yourself. Wash your hands and your arsehole. And hopefully, by the grace of God, I will see you on a battlefield very soon. Onwards. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.